Amen. Thank you so much, Brother Mike, and thank you, music ministry, choir, uh, instrumentalists, ladies ensemble. What a blessing it's all been. I don't know. I'm a little bit um, fortunate because I have a copy of the order of service, and so I know kind of what we're doing. But anybody catch the theme for the music service tonight? Anybody catch that? What was the theme? Anybody know? Somebody say it out loud. Heaven. The theme was heaven. Every song from a never-ending alleluia to I can go in to all of our, all of our congregational singing was about seeing Jesus and heaven. I I was just uh, seeing, I don't know, I saw it earlier, maybe either the day or yesterday, but it was a painting that someone had made of first moments in heaven. And it was one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. Folks were just embracing with one another. And uh, it was just, it was moving. It was so moving. And uh, boy, what a day that is going to be. When we see Jesus, uh, our Savior, first of all, but then when we see all of our precious loved ones that have departed, uh, that knew the Lord, and uh, what a day. That's going to be a wonderful, wonderful day. And so thank you, Brother Mike and, and musicians for all of your hard work and effort in leading us to think about heaven tonight. And that was an unmistakable theme. Let's jump right into the message. If you have your Bibles tonight, I'd invite you to take them and to join me, if you would, in the Gospel of Luke, chapter number four, please. Luke, chapter number four is where we'll find our text this evening, the Gospel of Luke, the fourth chapter. And uh, we have, of course, been emphasizing the Holy Spirit this um, this uh, year on our, uh, really as a church, our theme has been by my spirit. And on Sunday nights, as uh, the Lord has allowed me opportunity, if there wasn't some other special emphasis, we've been trying to preach messages on the Holy Spirit and his work in our lives and, and uh, just the ministry that he has among us. And I believe, I've said this before, but I believe the Lord has honored this emphasis. I really do believe that. I think it's made us a more um, Holy Spirit sensitive church. And I pray that you have, um, have, uh, have had opportunity to get to know the Holy Spirit better this year. I pray that the Holy Spirit of God has had opportunity to grow some of the fruit of the Spirit in your life this year as we have emphasized that. And uh, that you're walking in the Spirit and that you're just giving more attention to it on a daily basis than maybe you have in the past. And I want us to look in Luke chapter number four tonight and and um, I, I'm going to give the, the title of this message um, a, a scriptural title, but the truth of the matter is I could have titled this message Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Jesus and the Holy Spirit. I want you to look with me, if you would, in verse number 17 of Luke chapter number 4. The Bible says in Luke 4, verse number 17, and there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Esaias. Just to give you a little bit of background, Jesus has returned to uh, the hometown that he was really raised in. He's returned to Nazareth. And he walks into the, into the synagogue, the Bible says, on the Sabbath day. I love how it says this, as his custom was, uh, that Jesus made it a habit to be in the house of worship on the day that was set aside by the people of God for worship and, and of course, for rest. And when he got there, the Bible says that they gave him a copy of the book of the prophet Isaiah, or Esaias. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, now, if you, if you wanted to, you could, you could turn here. I'm not asking you to do it, but you could, and you could follow along. In Isaiah chapter 61, and you're going to find that Jesus is holding a copy of the book of Isaiah, probably just a fragment, probably not the whole book, and he's holding, someone's given him the book of Isaiah, and notice that he, he takes, he finds the place where it is in chapter number 61. And he read the first three verses, and here they are. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. 
because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. With God's help tonight, I'd like to preach a message I've entitled, The Spirit of the Lord is Upon Me. The Spirit of the Lord is Upon Me. As believers or as Christians, we have acknowledged, we believe the truth as it's found in the Bible about Jesus Christ. That's what makes us believers. That's what makes us Christians. According to the Bible, here's what the Bible teaches us about who Jesus is. Jesus is God. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the Messiah that was promised by God the Father in the Old Testament. Jesus is the King of all kings. He is the Lord of all lords. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the only way to the Father. Jesus is the Word. He is the creator of all things, and he is the giver of life, both physical and eternal. And I just have to tell you, listen, I've spent 30 seconds highlighting just some of the things that Jesus is. The truth of the matter is we could probably go on for another 20 minutes talking about exactly who Jesus is according to Scripture. I mean, he is the Lamb of God. He is the light of the world. He is, you name it, Jesus is all the good things that are said of him or spoken of him in the Bible, he is these things and so much more. To be saved, listen, to be saved, one does not have to understand every theological nuance, every, every theological truth. Um, there are lots of people that get saved and they don't, uh, they, they don't know much about maybe the second coming. They don't know much about tithing. They don't know a whole lot maybe about baptism and, and about the Lord's Supper. Here's, here's what they know. They know that they're a sinner and they know that God sent his only begotten son, Jesus, into the world. Jesus suffered in their place. He died on the cross for their sins. He was buried and he rose again the third day. That's all they know and that's all they need to know in order to be saved. That's the message of the gospel. The Bible is clear. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 to 4, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel, the good news, which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved. Now think about this. He is writing to a group of people in 1 Corinthians chapter number 15 that are arguing about and unsure whether there's even a resurrection. I mean, isn't that, that's what he's writing about, isn't it? He is setting the record straight. There's, there's, there's been some false teachers that have crept into this church and they're talking about the fact that there is no resurrection whatsoever and these people are sitting here going, boy, that, might, might that be true? Is that true? And yet, and, yet, and yet Paul is writing to them and he says, hey, listen, so long as you believe the gospel, so long as you stand in the gospel, you're born again, you're saved, you're on your way to heaven. He says, by which also you're saved, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Now, now, don't misunderstand me. They weren't arguing about whether Jesus rose again. They knew Jesus rose again, but they were saying, I don't know that I'm ever going to rise again. That was really what the confusion was all about. And yet Paul is saying, now listen, if you believed that Jesus came, then he was crucified and then he was buried and then he rose again the third day according to the scriptures, if you're standing in that, if your faith is rooted and grounded in that, then he says, you're, you're born again, you're saved. You're on your way to heaven. 
And that's the truth of the matter. That's the gospel. Now, understanding who Jesus is and what he accomplished for us gives greater, I believe it gives greater meaning even to what is found in Luke chapter number four. Because though Jesus was God, though he was sent from God, and though he proved throughout his life to be and to do things that no ordinary man could ever do, it is clear, it is clear from a study of Luke chapter number four that what he did, he did in and through the divine power and enabling and leading even of the Holy Spirit. There is an, there is a, uh, there is an unmistakable link between Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. And that the work that Jesus did when he was here on this earth was done, enabled, powered by, directed by the divine Holy Spirit of God. Recently, I was making a visit on a man who had expressed the desire to be baptized. He's with us tonight. He's going to be baptized tonight. He's sitting here in the front row, Brother Riddell. And Brother John and I were visiting him on Tuesday. And and I don't know if he remembers this, but I asked him outside of his apartment, I said, I said, now, now explain to me. He said, I want to be baptized. Explain to me, what do you know about baptism? You remember what you told me? He looked at me. I said, what, why, what, why do you want to be baptized? What do you know about it? And his, his exact words to me were these. I loved it. He said, my Savior Jesus was baptized, and I'm no better than him, so I want to follow his example. I thought, that's a great answer. My Savior was baptized. I'm not any better than him. I want to follow his example. Now listen, if that's true about baptism, and I believe it is, can I tell you that's, that's true about spirit-filled living as well? Truthfully, listen, there's no element of Christ's life that isn't worth emulating. I mean, truthfully. You, you follow, follow, listen, listen, church family, follow his example in baptism, yes. Follow his example in spirit-filled living. Follow his example in preaching and proclaiming truth. Follow his example in doing good everywhere you go. There is, there is nothing, there's no part of Christ that is not worth us saying, I want to be just like that. The Bible says in Romans 8, 29, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate. What did he predestinate us to? He predestinated us to be conformed to the image of, of his son. Did you, did you know that God saved you so that you could, as you progress throughout life, so that you could look more and more like his son, Jesus Christ? Now, that's what it's all about. That's why God saved you. He predestinated you to be conformed to the image of his son. You are an image bearer of the Lord Jesus Christ here on this earth, that he might, that Jesus might be the firstborn among many brethren. The Bible says in 1 John 2 and verse number 6, He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also so to walk even as he walked. So in other words, you look at that, look at that verse right there. It says, it says you, you claim that you abide in him? You claim that you're a believer, that you're born again, that you're a follower of Christ? Great. If that's the claim that you're making, then you better walk like he walked. You better try to live like he lived. That ought to be what you're striving for. That ought to be your goal. The Bible says in Philippians 2 and verse number 5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Now, as I study Luke chapter number 4, there are four specific ways in which I observed, as I was studying this passage, four specific ways that I observed the Holy Spirit's direct influence over the life of Christ in our text. And I want to point them out to you, and we'll be done tonight. Number one, I want you to notice, the Bible teaches us in Luke 4, verse number 1, that Jesus was filled with the Holy Ghost. 
It's right there, verse number one. And Jesus being full of the Holy Ghost. The word full in the text is the Greek word uh, pleris, and it means replete or covered over or complete. In Ephesians 5.18, we are instructed, be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Now listen, God is not saying that we shouldn't be under the control of anything. When he says, be not drunk with wine, he, he is not saying, hey, listen, don't let anything control you whatsoever. He is saying we shouldn't be under the control of the wrong thing. You know, um, the truth of the matter is we, we read, be not drunk with wine, we're in his excess, but that's just one example that's given. I, I, I would say this, the church family, I would say this to myself, uh, you know, Pastor Pete, be not, be not filled with rage and anger. Be not filled with pride and selfishness and, and, uh, and arrogance, right? I mean, you name, you name any vice, anything that could control you, anything that could fill you, and the Holy Spirit of God is saying, hey, listen, you need to walk away from that. Don't let that control you. Uh, he, sa- he says this. He says, don't be under the control of the wrong thing, but we are told to be under the control of the right thing. What is it that's supposed to be controlling our life? What's supposed to be controlling our life is the Holy Spirit of God. In the same verse, we're told to be under the Spirit's control. One who is under the control of the Holy Spirit, under the uh, control of the Holy Spirit, is going to be filled with good things, right? Just as one who is under the control of wine or the influence of wine or any other vice that you and I might list, they're, they're going to be full of some things that aren't so good. Someone who's under the influence of wine. Um, what might they be? Well, we could, we could make a list. They might be loud. They might be unsteady in the way that they're walking, the way that they're carrying themselves. Perhaps if they were to get behind the, uh, the wheel of a vehicle, we hear much about this, uh, they would be behind the wheel of that vehicle and they would not be in full control of that vehicle. Why? Because something else has control of them. So their alertness, their awareness, uh, they, they, so one under the influence of wine, they'd be loud, they'd be unsteady, and they might be inappropriate. You know, they might blurt something out that maybe they think is funny, maybe something that just comes into their mind, or maybe even something vulgar. They might, be, uh, they might be violent, they might be fearful. I mean, the list could go on and on of ways in which uh, alcoholic substance might control someone. And you would, you, would, you would see it and you would know it immediately. Oh, that, that person's under the control of, uh, of wine. They're under the influence of wine. Now, if that's true about wine then someone under the control of the Holy Spirit, what are they going to be full of? What are they going to look like? What are some, what are some uh, signs that someone is filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, I would take you to Galatians chapter number five. In Galatians chapter five, we, we're given the fruits of the Spirit. And if the fruits of, of, of wine in a heart and life are loudness and stubbornness and unsteadiness and inappropriateness and fearfulness and, and that sort of thing, you know, what, you, know what, uh, you know what the signs are that someone is filled with the Spirit? Love. And joy, and peace, and long-suffering, and gentleness, and goodness, and faith, and meekness, and temperance. And this is what fullness of the Holy Spirit produces in a life. You and I, listen, get, get all of this. We cannot produce that on our own. But if you and I will allow the Holy Spirit of God to fill us, as Jesus did, then listen, we can be full of such good things as is found in Galatians chapter number five. Now, do you find yourself lacking in some of these areas? I'm talking about Galatians chapter five, the fruit of the spirit. Perhaps maybe as you look at your life, you're overwhelmed with a sense of negativity. 
bitterness, turmoil, unforgiveness, fear, maybe life-dominating sins that absolutely have their grip on you, that are controlling you. here's, Here's what I want you to know. It's probably because you're not filled with the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost filling, listen, is available to any believer who asks for it. You could be filled with the Holy Ghost tonight. Say, so how, how, how do I do that? How do I, how do I get filled with the Holy Ghost? I would, just, I would just say that each morning, I seek to spend time in God's word. I let this, I let this book enter into my life and, and to redirect my thoughts. And then when I'm done reading, I select passage of scripture. Then I, I find a way to a place in my house and I get down on my knees I spend time with the Lord and almost, I mean, almost without fail every single day, I'm begging and I'm pleading, Holy Spirit of God, would you fill me? Would you control me? I yield myself to you. But you know, that's not enough. I, I, have, to then, I have to then be sensitive to the Holy Spirit's leading, don't I? Because very easily I could grieve the Holy Spirit. I could quench the Holy Spirit. So how, how do I get filled with the Holy Ghost? You have to ask for it. You have to repent of your sins and in, 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 in ask the Lord, Lord, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I, I'm sorry that this stands between you and me being in fellowship. I repent of this. Not to be saved, you're already saved, but in order to be right with God, in order to be in fellowship with God. And at that point, you say, Lord, fill me. Holy Spirit of God, would you fill me? Would you lead me? Would you direct me? And as he does, and by the way, he will, you stay sensitive to that. You do what he asks you to do. You follow him. If he prompts you to give a gospel track, give a gospel track. If he prompts you to say a kind word, say a kind word. If he prompts you to stand up for truth and for righteousness, you better stand up for truth and righteousness. That's what it means to be filled with the Holy Ghost. I want, to know, I want you to know, if I'm not filled with the Holy Ghost, it's never God's fault. It's always mine. Jesus was filled with the Holy Ghost. Are we? But notice, secondly, I want you to discover that Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Verse number one, the Bible says, and Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Now, I have to tell you, this is a little bit troubling to me. Uh, the Spirit doesn't always, he doesn't always lead us to fun and exciting places. I wish that were so. You know, I, wish, I wish every day as I walk with the Lord that it's just sort of a walk in a park. Wouldn't that be wonderful? The Holy Spirit said, here, take my hand. Let's, let's take a walk in the park. <laughs> let's go enjoy life. Let's go do some fun things together. But you know, the truth of the matter is sometimes the Holy Spirit of God leads us to places that aren't very comfortable. He, he sometimes leads us even into the wilderness. The Holy Spirit led Jesus to the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. Now, I want you, as I, as I say this, I really do believe why the Holy Spirit could lead Jesus to a wilderness experience. Well, there's two reasons. Number one, we've already covered it, because he was full of the Holy Ghost. The Holy Spirit can lead any person into the wilderness so long as that person is full of the Holy Ghost. Because the wilderness is not easy. The wilderness is challenging. It's full of, of, of perhaps danger and, and peril and, and things that, uh, uh, that are maybe even a little, bit, a little bit fearful if you think about it. But if I'm filled with the Holy Ghost, then I have God with me. I have a spirit with me. Jesus modeled spiritual warfare through fullness of the Holy Spirit. Now listen, you know this, don't you? That you and I are no match for the devil. We're no match for the devil. He he has been successfully destroying lies for thousands of years. He's really good at what he does. He's much power. 
and he has much experience, and no one of us belong in the wilderness with him alone. However, however, the fullness of the Holy Ghost gives us the resources and the power that we need, listen, to survive even a wilderness encounter with the devil himself. Life is full of times in the wilderness. It is. It is not possible to avoid a wilderness experience in this life. Some of you are in one right now. I mean, it just, if you feel like you're all alone, you feel like there's danger everywhere you look, you feel like the devil himself is whispering in your ear. And you want to be out of the wilderness. For whatever reason, the Lord has led you here at this point in time. And you say, you know, what, what should I do here? Don't, don't be afraid. You better get full of the Holy Ghost, though. You get the Holy Ghost with you and leading you and guiding you. You rely upon his strength and upon his power. Then you can, you can in those moments, you can survive. You can be victorious. But listen, if, you, if, you, if you're not full of the Holy Ghost during those moments, you will surely fall. I mean, it's imperative we always be full of the Holy Ghost, but especially when, when, when we're in the wilderness. But notice, secondly, Jesus was led by the Spirit in the wilderness because he was full of the Holy Ghost, but also, number two, because he was full of the Word of God. Jesus was full of the Word of God. Now, this is one of the most amazing things. Jesus is here in the wilderness, and we know, of course, he's tempted three times by the devil. Three different things that the devil encourages him, entices him to do, and in every one of those instances... Jesus flexed his muscles and he said, I'm God, you know, get thee behind me. That's not what he did. Now, I believe he could have done that because Jesus is always gonna be more powerful than the devil. But you know what I think he's doing here? I think he's teaching us. I think he's teaching us how to weather these storms. I think he's teaching us, you wanna, you wanna stand up to temptation? You better know my word. In every one of these instances, verse four, verse number eight, and verse number 12, let's just look at them very quickly the Bible says the, de- the devil comes, verse number three, if thou be the son of God, command this stone that it be made bread. Now listen, he's at the end of a 40-day fast. He's hungry. That sounds appealing. But notice his answer. And Jesus answered him saying, it is written. Now let me just help you with something. This is, this is not deep at all, but anytime you see it is written, that means it's been written. <laughs> you say, well, where, where is it written at? It's written in the Old Testament. We want it, by the way, you want to know, you know, should, should, should we have the books in the Bible that we have? One of the reasons why we have the books that we have is because Jesus authenticated them when he was here during his earthly ministry. Jesus quoted from them. He says, it is written. Well, what's written there? It is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Devil says, turn this this stone into bread. Jesus didn't say, get thee behind me, Satan. Let's fight right here and right now. No, Jesus said, it is written. Jesus gave God's word. Let's look a little bit further. Verse number five, and the devil taking him up into a high mountain showed unto him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. The devil said unto him, all this power will I give thee and the glory of them. By the way, the devil is the God of this world, isn't he? He's the prince and power of the air. So I believe what he was attempting or what he was offering, he could potentially have given. All this glory of them for that is delivered unto me and to whomsoever I will, I give it. If thou therefore wilt worship me, all shall be thine. Jesus answered and said unto him, get thee behind me, Satan. Now notice, it is written. Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Verse number nine, and he brought him to Jerusalem and set him on a pinnacle of the temple and said unto him, if thou be the son of God, cast thyself down from hence. Isn't it interesting? The devil even knows God's word. You see that in verse number 10? For it is written, 
He shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee. By the way, you say, how, how good should I know God's word? You better know it really well because the devil knows it. You better be able to use it because the devil knows it. The devil's quoting a scripture here. It is written, he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee. And in their hands, they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against the stone. Isn't that sobering to think that the devil can quote scripture? The devil knows the Bible. And Jesus answering said unto him, it is said, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. And when the devil had ended all the temptation, he departed from him for a season. Each temptation from the devil was swiftly met with the word of God. Boy, this is convicting. Could this explain some of my own failures? I believe it could. Have I fallen into sin at the hands of the devil's temptation because I just simply do not know God's word like I ought to know God's word? And I don't know how to use God's word like I should be able to use God's word. The Bible seems pretty clear that it, it is a safeguard against sinful temptation and wickedness. The Bible says in Psalm 37, 31, the law of God is in his heart none of his steps shall slide. You get the law of God in your, in your heart, you're gonna walk pretty circumspectly, aren't you? Psalm 119, 9, one of my favorite verses in all the Bible, wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? There's a question mark there, isn't there? This is a question. How are you gonna do it? How are you gonna cleanse your way, young men, young ladies, older men, older ladies? Aren't you glad the answer is given? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. And then a few verses later, verse number 11, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Colossians 3, 16 says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. Listen, the Holy Spirit will not hesitate to lead a spirit-filled believer who knows the word of God directly into spiritual warfare and wilderness journeys. Why? Because this person is equipped for this. They're built for this. They're, they're made for this, not in their own power and in their own strength, but through the Spirit's power and strength and through the Word of God's power and strength. Jesus was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. Don't notice thoroughly, Jesus was empowered by the Spirit. Look in verse number 14. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee. And there went out a fame of him through all the region round about, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified of all. Jesus was no doubt performing miracles and doing good deeds everywhere he went. And because of that, that eventually, the Bible says, led to him receiving widespread praise and glory. That's what it says in verse number 15. He was teaching, he was teaching, and his teaching was so different than the teaching that they were accustomed to. See, they were used to hearing from the scribes and the Pharisees. The Bible says at the end of the Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, the Bible says that they were astonished at his doctrine because he taught them as one that had authority and not like the scribes and the Pharisees. The end of Matthew chapter number seven tells us that. His teaching was set apart by his authority. And that word authority means, it means force, it means competency. Jesus could perform miracles, he could do good in every scenario, and he could speak with great competency, force, or authority on every subject because he was God, but don't miss this, also because he was empowered to do so by the Holy Spirit. That, that's, the, that's the clear teaching here. That the Holy Spirit of God gave him the power to do what it is that he was sent here to do. Now listen, our ministry efforts must be attempted and dependent upon the power of the Holy Spirit just as Christ was careful to do what he did by the Spirit's power. 
In other words, if the Lord Jesus Christ did not dare stand and do a miracle or preach a message or touch someone and, 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 and be a blessing to someone, if he did not dare do those things apart from the power of the Holy Spirit, what makes us think that we can accomplish anything of a spiritual eternal value in the power of our own flesh? Even Jesus himself went in the power of the Holy Spirit. I have to tell you, I have oft attempted to do the work of God in my own strength. And I also have to tell you that every time I have been so very disappointed with the results. But I want you to know I have never been disappointed with what he does through me when I yield myself to his power and his control. You know, some of you in here, you wish to impact the lives of others for Christ and the gospel. Can I tell you the only way to do this is to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. Some of you in here, think about this, some of you in here you have the responsibility, we, we, have, we have, but really more importantly, God has given you the responsibility and the gift, perhaps, of being able to stand and to teach others. Think about that. Think about the fact that people come to this church to sit and to listen to you explain the word of God to them in a, in a, more way, in a better way that they could understand it. What an honor. What a responsibility. What a privilege. I just want you to know something. Jesus was empowered by the Holy Spirit to teach to preach, to do what he did, you and I, we'd, we'd better be empowered by the Holy Spirit of God. I, I just want to say, I, if, every, if every teacher in this church said, you know, if I don't get a hold of anything this year, I'm going to get a hold of this, I'm going to be a Spirit-filled teacher. I'm going to be a Spirit-filled Christian. It would revolutionize our church. It would revolutionize our homes and families. I believe it would revolutionize Northeast Ohio. If this many people got filled with the Holy Spirit of God, what could God do? Well, listen to me, that begin as a, as a burning desire in every one of our hearts. Because it's really not so much about you, it's, it's about me. And me just saying, you know, listen, I can't control what other people do, but I can, I can control what I do. And so we see that Jesus was empowered by the Spirit. Lastly tonight, Jesus was anointed by the Spirit of the Lord. When we think of the word anointing, our minds often take us to the Old Testament. When the prophet of the Lord would anoint a king to lead the people, the nation of Israel, the Bible says that they asked for a king and God permitted it, but not before warning them what kind of king they would be getting. Now, this is so important, so I just want you to see it briefly. Go to 1 Samuel chapter number 8, if you would. 1 Samuel chapter number 8. And, and part of why the, the people wanted a king is because Samuel's sons, the Bible says, they did not walk in his ways. The Bible says in verse number 5, and they said unto him, Behold, thou art old, talking to Samuel, and thy sons walk not in thy ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. Now Samuel was displeased by this, the Bible says in verse number six. But notice God's response. And the Lord said unto Samuel, hearken unto the voice of the people and all that they say unto thee. For they have not rejected thee, but they have rejected me that I should not reign over them. According to all the works which they have done since the day that I brought them up out of Egypt, even unto this day, wherewith they have forsaken me and served other gods, so do they also unto thee. Now therefore, God is speaking here, hearken unto them, hearken unto their voice, Howbeit yet protest solemnly unto them and show them the manner of the king that shall reign over them. So get a hold of what's happening here. The people have come to Samuel and they've said, listen, you're old, your sons, they're, they're not walking after your ways. And so we want a king. Like the other nations, we want a king to reign over us. Samuel was displeased by this. Samuel went to the Lord. He said, here's what the people want. And God said, well, we'll give them what they want. 
But, but as we do, I want you to protest to them. I want you to warn them, really, is what he's saying. Warn them what, what kind of king they're gonna be getting. And we don't have time to read it, but if you'll begin in verse number 10, and you'll read down through the end of verse, uh, verse number 18, Samuel protests solemnly what a king will do as he sits upon the throne. And basically, he says things like this. Okay, you're gonna get a king, but I want you to understand, here's what he's gonna do. He's gonna look out for his own interests. He's gonna build his own empire. He's gonna accumulate lots of wealth. He's going to take your sons and your daughters and he's going to make them his bakers and his cookers and he's gonna make them his soldiers and his servants and he's gonna basically do whatever. He's gonna take your cattle and he's gonna make it his cattle. He's gonna take your land and he's gonna make it his land. Okay, so this is, the, this is what you're getting. This is what, and the people still said, no, this is what we want. We want a king. And so the Bible tells us that in 1 Samuel chapter number 10 and verse number one, Samuel took the anointing oil and he poured it over the head of a man by the name of Saul. And Saul was anointed to be king. Listen, six chapters later, it, it is such a disaster that Samuel is sneaking around and he goes to Bethlehem, Judah, and he calls Jesse to a sacrifice and he says, sort of under the cover of darkness, hey, do you have some sons? Because this, this king is not working out and God has sent me to you to anoint the next king. And in, in 1 Samuel chapter number 16, in verse number 13, you know, what, you know what Samuel's doing? He's pouring the anointing oil over another man. His name is David. And the Bible tells us that this man has a heart after the Lord. Now, now I want you to contrast the human anointing to be a king with the anointing of the Holy Spirit that was upon Jesus. This is, this, is, this is beautiful. This is life-changing. Listen, Jesus was not anointed by the Holy Spirit of God for the purpose of building his wealth. Jesus was not here strengthening and fortifying himself against some earthly enemy. He was not here for any selfish purpose. Listen, Jesus was anointed by the Holy Spirit to preach to the poor, to heal the broken, to preach deliverance to the captives, to recover sight to the blind, and set free those who were bruised. Listen, the point is this. The anointing of the Holy Spirit is not about me advancing myself, me lifting up myself, or building some kingdom for myself. No, the anointing of the Holy Spirit of God is about me meeting the needs and ministering to the needs of others. That's what it's all about. That's what Jesus was anointed for by the Holy Spirit of God. And if you and I would get the anointing of the Holy Spirit of God upon our hearts and our lives, oh, it would change everything. You see, the, the anointing that comes from the Holy Spirit is never about personal advancement, but it is always about the gospel and trying to help others understand the gospel and find a better way in life to live. Notice three things that Jesus was anointed to do and will be done. Number one, he was anointed to preach the gospel. And that's exactly what it says, going back to Luke chapter number four, in verse number 15. Verse, uh, let me get there, verse number, actually verse number 18. The spirit of the Lord is not upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. And Jesus was anointed to preach the good news to all, that man does not need to die in his sins and spend eternity in hell. God has sent a savior and his name is Jesus. I do not believe, I do not believe that only preachers should share this message. In other words, I don't believe that I'm the only one that is anointed to do this. 
I, I, I believe that every one of you in here have a responsibility. You know people. You interact with people I'll never meet. May God help all of us. Say, what's, what's the filling of the Holy Spirit of all? What's the anointing of the Holy Spirit? The anointing of a king was to advance himself, to, 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 to advance his own agenda and his own program. What is the anointing of the Holy Spirit about? It's not about us building ourselves. It's not about us building some mega, massive church here in Cleveland. No, no. The anointing of the Holy Spirit is so that we can go and preach the gospel to the poor. Who's the last person you preach the gospel to? I mean, if you're anointed, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And he hath anointed me. Why? So that I can go and preach the gospel to the poor. But notice Jesus was not only anointed to preach the gospel, but he was anointed to heal the hurting. He was anointed to heal the hurting. You know, there's a lot of conversation today about something known as church hurt. Surely you've, you've heard of this. People share stories and experiences of how they were hurt in a church. I have to tell you, some of that is legitimate. And some of that, some of that may come from a place of, in which people were wanting to do their own thing and maybe a strong leader stood and resisted their own personal agenda. I, I, I don't always know the, the difference between the two as far as someone's telling me a story. I was in this church and someone, you know, did this to me or did that to me. And it's like, well, you know, was that, was that really something that, you know, you were really hurt by or was that something you were trying to do in which you were resisting the leadership that God had put in that place? I don't know. Can I tell you, there's no escaping the fact that there are some who have been hurt by people who claim to be spiritual leaders. Now listen, if we were all to be filled with the Spirit and anointed by Him, you know, we could virtually eliminate church hurt immediately. I'm talking about real church hurt where, 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 where people are maybe ostracized or people are, you know, um, made to feel like they're less than someone else. I'm not, ta- I'm not talking about, because, because Jesus went into the house of God and he drove out the money changers, didn't he? So, so, I mean, so Jesus was, was not hesitant to stand up for truth and righteousness, even if that meant even attacking the religious crowd. I'm not talking about that kind of church hurt. I'm talking about real church hurt in which people are really hurt and offended by spiritual leaders who, 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 who did things that, that were not right. The Holy Spirit's influence in a life, listen, doesn't break or harm, but it actually heals and it recovers. That's, that's what the Holy Spirit of God does when he anoints a life. You know, we're living in a world in which many have never stepped foot in a church, but they're still hurting enormously, aren't they? Helping us to understand, listen, it's more than just hurt, church hurt. Everybody's hurting. Everybody's struggling. Everybody is bearing wounds and scars from things that have transpired in their lives. Our nation is hurting, isn't it? Over the events that transpired in Maine on Wednesday night. I mean, aren't we hurting as a nation? We think about those types of things happening. Our nation is reeling over many recent tragic events. Our world is hurting over the condition of things in Israel and Ukraine. Some of the stories, some of the stories that have come out of Israel are just so heart-wrenching. I mean, it's disturbing that, that man could be so wicked and evil, and yet, and yet we shouldn't be surprised. Because the Bible says that the heart of man is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know? You know what he's saying? He's saying, who can tell? how wicked and how perverse and how profane and how evil a man or a woman can be. The divorce courts and hospitals are filled with hurting people, aren't they? I mean, tomorrow, tomorrow the, the divorce courts will be full, won't they? Even tonight, the hospitals are full of people that are hurting and that are struggling and that are in need. 
The anointing, listen, the anointing of the Holy Spirit does not inflict more pain onto hurting people, but it actually is a balm that soothes and heals the brokenhearted and bruised. The Bible promises that Jesus, think about this, that Jesus would be gentle with those who were bruised. Now listen, look, look around you tonight. Think about this. There are people in this church that, that, that have come in here so wounded and so hurt. But listen to, what Jesus, listen to what the Bible says in Isaiah 42. Behold my servant. Verse number one. Behold my servant whom I uphold, mine elect in whom my soul delighteth. I have put my spirit upon him. He shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. He shall not cry, nor lift up, nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. Notice, a bruised reed shall he not break. Listen, listen Jesus isn't here. Jesus isn't here to take you who's so wounded and so hurt and so defiled by this world. He's not here to take a ball bat and to continue to pound you into the ground. Jesus is here to heal. He's not here to break you. He's here to heal you. He's here to soothe you. He's here to be a balm to you. How does he do that? He does it through the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Listen, church family, God has not called us to make people feel worse about themselves. Man, this world is struggling. There are people that are, I mean, they are in the depths of despair. You would never know it, but they are. Jesus has not called us to confront them and to be mean and nasty and horrible to them. No, Jesus has called us to go to them and to be gentle with them. Jesus has called us, the Holy Spirit has anointed us to heal them. Here, let me, let me touch you. Let me heal you. Let me apply some, some salve. Let me, let me make you feel a little bit better. Let me, let me do something to encourage you and to bless you. Lastly tonight, Jesus not only anointed to preach the gospel to the poor, to heal the hurting, but Jesus thirdly was anointed to deliver the captives. So the Bible says, he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised. So many people are caught up today in life-dominating sins. And we could make a list of them, things like alcohol and drugs and tobacco and pornography, gambling, anger, rage. Again, the list could go on and on. Listen, the world has no answers for these things. None whatsoever. The world says try a little harder, get into a program, get around other people that are struggling, and maybe you can you know, draw some resources from them. And, and you know what God says? God says, get the Holy Spirit. Get the Holy Spirit in your life. Claim his power. Yield yourself to his power. Get full of the Holy Spirit and go out, church, go out and charge the community and help people find deliverance. Listen, all around us are captives. Captives. We had a couple that came forward this morning, got saved in the morning service. They live, literally live right around the corner from here in Brooklyn, Ohio. I asked them, I said, how did you find out about our church? How did you start coming? I said, you live right here. How did, how did you start coming? And they said this. They said, well, we drove by, by it enough times that we signed and finally decided to come in. And I was happy about that. But I'm thinking to myself, I wonder if we missed their door. I wonder if someone from this church knew them and, and maybe we didn't get a chance to invite them. Well, listen, we have been called by God. We have been anointed by the Holy Spirit of God to preach deliverance to the captives, to help people find a new way, a better way 
to live. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed for just a moment.